there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, happy Christmas. I'm joking, it's not Christmas just yet, but it's kind of getting there, and the lights are on in Cork, and I was there to see them. Um, So this is episode 45 of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you've heard many already. If you haven't, go back and check them out. And this is the first one I've uh, released, technically, or recorded as a 40-year-old, which is a you know, great milestone. Delighted I've got this far. Uh, absolutely had a really good birthday weekend, last weekend, and have been in uh, recovery mode, pretty much, ever since. My voice still hasn't probably got fully back to normal, but uh, I think that is nearly there. It is what it is. So... I released an episode last week, episode 44, with Andrew Montague, former Lord Mayor of Dublin and very much at the core of the Dublin bike scheme. If you haven't checked it out, I'd love if you did. It was a really interesting story and his tales around being Lord Mayor of Dublin was very interesting. I didn't know much about that uh, role I suppose before how you got there and how long it lasted for so we went into good details on that so I would encourage you to check it out if you can over the last week or so as I was getting back to normal talked to a few new guests that are lined up to come on looking at my whiteboard again here looks like I'll probably get up to 52 before I do put a pause on things uh, get uh some time off definitely going to continue doing the one percent better podcasts with a season two uh some ideas for other episodes other type shows coming up as well so lots to look forward to from my perspective and hopefully from yours if you like listening to the show i did learn during the week uh, that subscribing to the show is really the most important thing you can do from a ratings perspective or rankings perspective not ratings um the rating and rankings and reviews are good but uh, from those in the know subscribe 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 that would be great if you did that if you're listening just click subscribe you can go onto my website and you can click on the link at the bottom of the page and that'll bring you to the itunes platform and you can subscribe from there so that would be cool if you haven't already signed up to the newsletter please do i'll release a newsletter email every monday with the main episode and we'll be releasing other ones from time to time and also set up a facebook group one percent better community and i've been adding invites to that and if uh, if you could share that amongst your friends that'd be great trying to post more regularly there about some good stuff that I can share that may make you feel a little bit more positive or upbeat and it's open so you can absolutely share stuff there too and I will get to the guests so I'm so delighted to release this full episode with Lieutenant Commander Roberta O'Brien. I met Roberta uh, about a month back or more at a panel event uh, at work that I was involved in she presented on the day, um, as did Neve McCarthy, a uh, guest from a, a couple of episodes back. So that was a really good day for me in that I was on the panel and got to talk a bit about the podcast and talk about numerous different things, maybe a bit about meditation. But I also got to meet both of those 
really inspiring ladies and both of them were kind enough to come onto the podcast and this one is with Roberta O'Brien. So for those of you that didn't listen to the Friday Five or haven't heard of who she is, she is certainly a lady of many firsts. She was the first female to join the Irish Navy back in 1995, becoming a cadet. And then from there she went on to become the first female lieutenant commander to take charge of a ship uh, in 2008. That was the Ellie Ashleen, uh, which she did for two years. Her current role, taking on a new role recently as the officer in charge of the training school, responsible for ensuring 43 potential young officers are fully trained and equipped prior to them taking their first sea-going appointment. I shot this episode on location at the National Maritime College of Ireland, where Roberta is now based. And it was uh, it was really cool to, to go out there. I haven't been there before. She was a great host. Her career continues to go from strength to strength. Roberta, thank you again so much for your time on the show. And I am delighted to release it. I'll leave it there. Go and enjoy it and talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the 1% Better podcast. And I am on location in this one. I think I'm allowed to say where I am. Yes, I? you are. Yeah, it's not top <laughs> it's secret. Not top, there's no classified information needed. I'm with Roberta O'Brien. Roberta, welcome. Thank you very much. Or, or I, you should welcome me because I'm in, in your location, <laughs> I guess. Delighted that you've agreed to take your an hour out of, of your schedule to maybe talk about your, your career and also talk about some of the I think things that made you quote-unquote successful. We can figure out what success means to you during the conversation as well. And hopefully you can throw a few new questions at you you might not have answered in the past so that can bring up some new ideas for, for you. When I was doing the research, one thing that, that stood out was this idea of, of uh, a story of firsts in that it seems as if you've had a lot of firsts uh, during your career and and when when you talked at the the event that we met at um one of the first firsts that jumped up was when you were in school and you played football no or hurling? Hurling. hurling hurling to bury the home hurling as they <laughs> yes, say sorry, obviously <laughs> in, in in school with the, the the boys team i suppose at the time yeah that that was probably something that we can talk about first question i normally like to ask of late was and is around an earliest memory. When that is asked, what, what jumps into mind rather than premeditated? What comes to mind? What jumps to mind um, is that my mother went uh, back to work when I was around four or five. Um, she Because prior to that, she had to give up her job. When she got married, she worked in the bank. Yeah. Um, but uh, she went back to work in the early 80s. And I remember one Friday evening, she came home with a tennis racket and ball. And just the sheer joy that I got out of getting the present and she was showing me how to play tennis because my mother um, would have, was a great and avid tennis player okay. in her day, uh, Lord of Mercy in her, but, um, and would have been a real, I suppose, um, setter, like, you know, with pushing yourself and always um, making sure that you can do whatever you want to do, regardless whether you're a man or a woman. Because even back then, as I said, she had to give her job up when she, once you got married. It was yeah. an actual law. It was like, a law, you know, yeah. Until 1974, Jesus, yeah. which we kind of find quite uh, incredulous. But uh, so that kind of was the first, one of the happy memory, like I suppose, and where my link to sports even would yeah. have come from. Yeah. 
tennis sometimes i asked one guy about that and he said his earliest memory was running around subsequently he became um, a professional triathlete and has climbed mountains has tennis continued to be a, a factor and not at, not at my current status but i would have uh you know the usual every time wimbledon was on the the tennis rackets were out on the ball and the, yeah, the yeah. bit of uh, bale and twine went across as the net yeah. in the, the front good. yard like you had a lawn tennis uh, court at home so as well <laughs> so um but no um i suppose it would have stopped playing tennis um once the the club folded i think in our back um when i was about 12 or 13 okay. but uh no I continued then to play sports and I'm from a big family there's seven of us like right. three boys and three girls and grew up in the countryside so we all remember that quote get outside and play you know mm. so I used to um, have our leagues as they say and hurling was one that I really remember just being really passionate about or got real excitement from and my brother Patrick was great at kind of showing me the skills of how to hold a hurley how to puck the ball and I remember we were playing around in the yard one day and he said sure why don't to go up um, and play at lunchtimes because in fairness our primary school teacher at the time Mr O'Shea used to do the training at the lunchtime with the boys for you know depending on the season hurling um, up until uh, the summer or whatever and then into right. the, the football and uh, so I said you know what sure look I'll, I'll I was a bit nervous but like he encouraged me and there was, it was a mixed school and I we were, there was only a class of 19, 13 boys, six girls. So I said, you know what? I went along um, mm. and I was kind of up early before the teacher came and I was poking around. So the boys started to pass the ball around. And sure, once you proved mm. that you could hit the ball and you weren't going to start crying if the ball, if the schlitter hit you, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. grand. So it kind of went from there, like, you know what I mean? On to the, the local team then that fed into the club, which is Arhalo. And uh, I played right up until under 14, you know, um, yeah. secondary school. I think I played for one year and then it kind of fizzled out. You kind of, I wasn't asked, but I kind of saw myself like, you know, with the changes physically that okay. that uh, I kind of made the break then, you know. Excellent. So that was, a, that was one of your first firsts. Do you remember growing up, and I know from your talk and other members of your family were in the, in the army and in the, mm. the Navy as well. Was that something that became an immediate goal for you or or what was your what did you want to be when you grow up sort of view what um as i said i was big into sports but i did like kind of the i did do like to study as well Mm. um i have to work a bit harder than than maybe everyone but uh others but at the same time i do enjoy the books and I thought of actually PE teaching is what I was okay. uh, looking at um, and because I had a, in, I enjoyed science and I was hoping to link up my love of science with sports. Mm. And it wasn't until um, I think fifth year, though, I was thinking back because somebody was asking me, where did it spark? And I know I do have a link with my mother growing up on the island of Holboland, but that wasn't ever the... I said, oh, I want to join the Navy. It was more. We went down uh, with a secondary school teacher to Waterford Port. Right. And we were getting a tour on the one of the merchant ships. And I remember being up on to, on the bridge at the time and uh, I didn't even know what the instrument was called, but it's called the Polaris now where it gives you your headings north, south, east and west. Okay. And, 
the captain of the ship talking about, you know, and I thought uh, his job and I found it really interesting. And I said, what do you have to be good at? Like, and he said, well, if you're good at maths and Jorvia, I always loved maths from a very young age. Yeah. So I said, God, maybe that would be something that I could link up with, you know. So that was what sparked it. And then because Mam had grown up on the island of Holbolan and um, would have had ty- known people who were ser- currently serving in the Navy, I had an uncle working up in the printing press who would print all the recruitment documents and all that kind of stuff um i my, i wrote to him or contacted him um and he sent i'll never forget he sent me a big a4 wadi load of information about what the training involved um each cadet class or potential officers uh, published what's called a class magazine after their two years of training okay so it's only really for the class and the families, like you get a bio of each uh, cadet, what their favorites are, what their idiosyncrasies are and mm. all that. And then they talk about their time throughout the two years. So I was reading that and I kind of go, yeah, I could see myself doing something like that and read about the army um the the navy and the air corps and the the navy for some reason just appealed to me more than what the the army do themselves which um is still very important but i just the appeal of sea going even though i'd never been to sea mm. it just uh got me uh, sparked the interest yeah so there was no immediate fear of of uh, being out in the water in your mind. No oh, like, fear. Could you swim? I could swim. Yeah. I did. I loved the uh, swimming. I uh, would have done that. You know, the usual back in the day, you did your ten weeks in the local swimming pool, and okay. you got your one, two, three badge or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I was confident swimmer. Um. And uh, but I had never done any sailing, and uh, I suppose the way when I and certainly when you read the recruitment uh, brochures as well, it was very much that you joined the navy. They were going to train you to mm. to to uh, take command of a ship. Well, ultimately, um, that was the area because I remember being asked before, why did you go operation side of the house, which is called the deck side, uh, the operations side, i.e., um, yeah. side of the house, or they become an engineer. And I said, well, if you become an engineer, you can't become captain mm. of a ship. <laughs> yeah. But I, as a young seventeen-year-old, that was that quite, was a vision. That was a, a vision. Way out, as like. I said, I kind of I said, no, I could see. I'd, I'd like that. And I mm. always played team sports, but I liked the idea of as well leading by bringing people with you and working together. Like you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, rather than um, dictating. Um, you know, uh, type even as I said, as a player on a, on a team. Okay. Yeah. At that time, but when you were starting to look at that. Mm. You were the first female in the Navy cadet, yeah, right? Yeah, so, so I was looking at that and they'd had women in the army since the 80s. Okay. And um, what was it? Uh, they were advertised. I, I was only 16, 17. Uh, so at that stage, there had been muted that uh, the Navy were being told, look, you have to take women. And mm. I tried to get the the, doc- the legal document, but I think they were, it was an EU ruling that basically, look, you, you have to open up the competition. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, 1990. Yeah. So in 1994, they opened up the recruitment um, to to females, but right. they didn't find anyone suitable in 1994, strangely. And, uh, and what was the criteria? What was suitability? <laughs> or was it Look, was people... it's quite a, a strange... Uh, it's an interview, two interviews, a fitness test and psychometric testing. Okay. So it's quite extensive, like, you know, the interview process. Mm. And in 95, then it was myself and uh, Orla Gallagher, who were the, the first two women to be taken into the to the naval service along with. Um, at the time, there was one, two, three, three other guys, uh, Kean O'Meara, who, who finished out the two years, but the other two guys didn't uh, right. 
one guy got backlash and subsequently left and another guy left uh, during the training. So okay. we were a small class, like, you know what I mean? Because back then uh, it's it's quite difficult to get in. It's quite popular, but they weren't recruiting a lot of people um, yeah. at the time um, as well, you know. Do you remember the psychometric test? I'm fascinated. I do, Psycho- yeah. What, what, which one was it or was there a specific? There was a, about, it was a full day like, and it was like you'd have the personality type ones. Now I have an idea of what they were the back Myers then. I hadn't a clue, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like that. Are you, do you have a tendency to join the group, you know, whatever? Mm. And then uh, would you pick up a book or a rifle, you know? Yeah. But then you know yourself, they change. It's the same question down were, the line yeah, they, because they it's trying to, to see to yeah. make sure that you're not giving. Exactly. I know yeah, that yeah. now. Now, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, haven't yeah. been at the other side of the house yeah. uh, carrying out interviews. But as I said, why am I being asked the same questions again? Mm. So you had the personality ones. You had the cogs. A cog is going this way. Uh, you've got four or five different cogs. What <laughs> direction yeah, is it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going in. They're verb, like reasoning type ones. Reasoning and... type of ones. They're the ones that jump out. I can't, I can't remember, but I just do remember that it was a full day. But even that experience, um, like I look back and I met two of the guys who I met who were uh, going for the Air Corps, who subsequently were in the Air Corps class. Okay. Like you know, so I said. Um, McHugh and uh, Jerry Morgan like and we went for lunch afterwards and then it was funny like meeting them six months later in the Curra camp (laughs) (laughs) because you the Navy the Army and the Air Corps we do our first three months um, induction uh, for potential officers cadet training the first three months are basically done together because to me um, I see the rationale at the time it's very tough but it's purely just to break to push you through psychologically even some of the stuff you're you're questioning it but it's to test your resilience and to mm. again my maturity i can see the reasoning as yeah. a 17 year old Absolutely, uh, yeah. or when i was turning 18 brassoing the the front door and <laughs> going what the hell am i doing here yeah, you know that yeah, kind yeah. of way yeah. or picking leaves up out of drains and putting them into bins and uh tied in the place up you certainly question it but looking back now um with an older head i can see look there's a reason it's to push your limits it's to test <laughs> you know you because when you're 200 miles off the coast yeah um separated from your your family you're carrying out an operational requirement maybe a naval boarding fisheries or uh drugs interdiction you have to be able to to push on through that mm. and compartmentalize to what's going on at home you know so it's yeah you know you can see the reason <laughs> behind I, it i can and like it's it's interesting not to draw any comparisons yeah. but one of my first jobs when i was working in parallel with college was working at mcdonald's and you know you're very process orientated and there's a lot of teamwork Mm. at the time i didn't realize i was learning some really cool skills that i Mm. actually used and continue to use in in you know in corporate world but was there in those it was a three months yeah three months hardcore intensive very um like what are the the key things that maybe stand out that that as you said you realize further down the road looking back but was there two or three things resiliency is one thing you mentioned Mm. that's probably a a core value of yours i'd imagine Mm. other ones that pushed you to maybe the limit at the time and that you thought why but now realize this is very good important a simple one like the running when you're the Mm. worst like i well okay i was one of two at the we'd be paddy last every day like you know Mm. and it's pushing yourself outside your comfort zone like because nobody likes to you know uh, be coming in at the end every time 
And uh, subsequently, I've always said, like, you know what I mean? Don't be afraid to take on things that you're not good at all the time. We can't be brilliant at everything. And mm-hmm. that's the reality. And even I was talking to somebody who was thinking of joining uh, and subsequently did join and running the person didn't like it. And I said, at the end of the day, that's only one element of it. It's yeah. not who you are. It's how you cope with even doing that. Yeah. And certainly at the start, I found it very frustrating. But the key, even what was said to me after is that I never gave up. I always kept going. Mm-hmm. You know, within the group that I might be, you know, 400 meters behind the pack, as they say, like, you know, we did class of, I think there was 50 odd of us, you right. know, with, with all three combined yep. that you're coming in at the end for 500 meters at the end. That's not a nice feeling. And it's a very difficult one to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for when you know that you like to to be up there with with, with others. Um, and it's it's trying to... that. That was one element of it that I said, you know what, I learned an awful lot of it. I turned out that I love running now and mm. uh, um, have learned different ways of how to improve the running. But I think when you're back then in a group and you nearly panic yourself into being weaker than mm. everyone else and you think that that's the be all and end all when it's only one element of testing your ability yeah. and uh, actually pushing on through your outside your comfort zone. So that's what I would always say to people that, you know, um, because I did train a class and there was certain um kind of comments be made to different people who are weaker and i said there'll be certain areas that you won't be so good at that you will require assistance so yeah. think about what you're saying to the group when yeah, we're out yeah. here running today mm-hmm. and then i've learned even with from the training side of the house on how to um you know you can push others then and get them outside their comfort zone and mm-hmm. like simple things like getting the the slower person to start off first and get the other person to see can you catch them or then make sure you know little things because i remember that was done four or five months later mm-hmm. and uh, the guys t- is, uh, turned around and said god now we know what you were feeling like you know when you're outside your comfort zone every day so that was one element of it yeah. i found the um military was so new to me like hadn't right. a clue with regards um a or just being told what to do like you know what i mean and having to listen and as i said i talk i tend to talk a lot is to keep quiet you know and listen and uh take in things and uh i suppose what what have i taken from that though down the line there's a time and a place and it's uh learning the tact to listen but then when you can actually speak out within the system because yes it is a military organization but certainly in the context of the naval service anyway that we do encourage people to speak out because if you're on board a ship there's dangers that can be seen regardless of what rank you are Mm -hmm. so yes we're very military and can be perception of a very autocratic and there are Mm. scenarios that require that but really it has changed with regards the type of environment that you work in as well that you have to be aware and listen to others as well like you know so do you think in the last 20 years that has changed just pick, picked up on what we said at the very start or maybe just before we started is your type of leadership is very much bringing people along mm. rather than telling people yeah. what to do mm. has it evolved do you feel over the last 20 years in that area my own personal or the or organization maybe, i can see that both, the, yeah. yeah a bit of both and you can uh, see that it has changed there that uh, um it's you know, that the old military would have been very much do what I say and uh, that's it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's now we have we do have leadership doctrines, we do uh, study it and from all ranks right up, like, you know what I mean? Everyone mm-hmm. is seen as the, is, okay, the terminology is the strategic soldier. But look, 
that everyone has um, has an input into something. Um, yes, there are times and places fighting a fire, uh, bringing the ship alongside, you have to be quite autocratic. Mm. But certainly when there's a mission um, uh, at stake, when uh, you have to bring everyone and collaborate together and take other people's opinions on board. And I do think that it has changed. There is a generation that still... Um, and I even think back myself, even how my st- uh, style has evolved when I was training cadets. And uh, like I had uh, one fella put up his hand and you corrected this wrong when it was right. Like, you know, and I was kind of going, you know, uh, young trainee calling me out. OK, fair point. So I, I said, grand. And I went down and I said, um, I take what you're saying on, on board. But I said, you're going out onto a ship now, I said. If you're going to be questioning somebody of a higher rank, I said. Mm. Number one, be careful, be tactful, be aware of how you say say that, I said. Mm. I could have been the type that went, how dare you speak to me like that? You know, yeah. that kind of way, I'm in charge, whatever, you know. But no, I, I could see uh, what he uh, was, was, his point. Um, but I said... I could also see the da- not the dangers, the challenges he would have had going out to mm. having served on board some some of the ships with a certain type of characters. That my God, you're a cadet, you you can't speak out yet, like you know. So you can even see how the change in the generation, which I think is a good thing, right? Because I don't think that things should be followed blindly, like yeah. you know what I mean. Is I love the the term that my brother in law used recently as loyal descent. Okay. I think that's a great <laughs> one, like that. <laughs> You know, so if command are asking you something like, you know, I'll give you my honest opinion. I'm yeah. not going to sugarcoat it. Mm. But at the end of the day, then if you overrule me, Grant, I will follow follow the orders unless I, you know, goes against moral reasonings yeah. or whatever. We won't get into that. But, you know, with regards an approach to um, a problem or a project, right. um, I, I, I certainly think that there is scope. There is a generation, though, still that find it difficult to, to listen and... Um, to to the younger generation like you know as they say you know a mm. couple of things you mentioned awareness and like listening right yeah. so and i know i'm going on tangent so sorry but uh the thing the area of emotional intelligence yeah. is very fascinating to me and their kind of competencies i suppose within that learning to listen mm. not to, to you know and, and to ask questions and be curious have has there been kind of specific eq training that you would have been given during during the time or has it just been part of probably a lot of the other training like to become more aware how how did you develop that i think um over different courses that i've done myself externally like you know mm. uh, with regards it and, and talk to us like i did, was very fortunate that we did do interpersonal skills for leaders with an outside company i think it was ibec at the time right. um, and that was when i was a young lieutenant and um i found it very interesting because i was the lieutenant having to ro- or even i was might have been only a sub lieutenant but i had to roll it out to um the lieutenant commanders and commanders okay. above like you know and it was all very much again so a bit about that like you know how do you give bad news like you know and I remember you know it's all very commonsensical stuff now you know now but picture this this was back in uh, the late it was the late 90s or maybe no early 2000 I'd say when I had to 2003 I had to roll this out with a colleague I'll never forget like I said to, to somebody how do you give bad news oh fine you know it's grand sure that's my job and I was there like you know, and I, you know, you're given a pack and you're trying to tease it out. Nobody likes to give bad news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah. how do you give it? You give the, the praise sandwich, you know, the positive things, but then you don't want to give too much positive that 
the message is lost. Mm. But it was funny seeing even the generations uh, at the time, um, you know, not wanting to admit that, uh, look, it is difficult. I said, so I, I was getting nowhere with regards and I kind of said, so, and I knew for a fact this person, there are two I see, he, they were best buddies. Okay. I said, so how would you feel given a bad report to, to so-and-so? Yeah, I'd be fine about it. Yeah, Grant, yeah. not a bother. It's my yeah, job. Yeah. And, in the end, I just had lost the class with regard the class, should I say? But you know, they were yeah. senior officers, but they just didn't. I don't know, was it my rank mm. or just not willing to open up to that importance of being aware with regard? Yeah. So I would have done like a two or three day workshop with uh, with role playing and other people in the the army and the the navy in that sense of the thing. So that kind of got sparked, and then I went off and I did while I was training cadets. I went off uh, back to UCC by night, um, and I did a post grad in management and marketing. Okay. So again, we did a bit about uh, you know management and the different types of organisations that mm. you have, like you know the flat organisations versus the hierarchical and all this kind of stuff, and yeah. comparing and contrasting. So I found that really interesting, and I really liked the the marketing element. Element of how you communicate the subliminal messages nudging people, nudging people yeah. along yeah. um you know when you look at at the time it was the dove beauty campaign you know about uh big is beautiful or whatever but really as some guy says know who's know your brands because uh dove are promoting this but have a look at the links ads and what they're promoting to the guys you know so it's yeah, very different you know uh, almost contradictory yeah but it was the who owns the brands and being you know so i found that all very interesting kind of jumping from um, emotional intelligence but the importance of um, knowing how you can actually um, tap into somebody's psyche in a way like you know what I mean by even just uh, influencing what you say how you say it like you know what Mm. I mean so that and um, then later on I did um, a higher diploma in health and safety and we did a full module in psychology well a a five unit module so on um, how we learn um, short term long term memory and Mm. again um, you know between Pavlov's dog you know and different things again so it's being aware so it's kind of going all right and how Mm. we learn uh, confirmation bias why we you know um, why accidents happen because you actually look for the reasons because you've solved before you've really actually solved the 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 problem and then uh, when I went off and did the uh, with the defense forces then is when I suppose would have been really exposed finally exposed to it we did uh, leadership management and defense studies masters with NUI Maynooth Um, we did have to be assessed ourselves with regards our emotional intelligence and we got feedback on that and again the importance of being aware um, of what people think of you self yeah. you know is the the problem with people who are not self-aware is that they're not self-aware like you yeah, know yeah, so yeah. how do you tell them so yeah i said over the years i've kind of between my own studies and mm. uh internal courses i've I've learned a lot like yeah There's a lot of good exposure there mm. the the psychology around influencing others i'm reading a book at the moment called nudge um, it's it's brilliant. It was released by two kind of economic economists, behavioral economics, and it's how you know if you have three choices that you might on a website to sign up for, and they're 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 nudging you in mm. in one specific it's way, big, or there's yeah. the, the idea of a default one, which in years gone by there, yeah. there wasn't. They talked about um, presidential elections in the U.S. and campaigns that they were doing for certain. Um, I think it was a medical Medicare type plan, and they were 
they, there was no default. There was mm. there was basically if if they didn't pick some, they, they were excluded and they lost lots of money. So just over the last number of years, how that has all changed, and I think having those skills subtly bringing putting people in certain areas for for the benefit not to kind of mm. be manipulative is kind of a, a fine line to balance there as well um so maybe just come back to when you started in in um in 94 was it 95, 95 then like yeah your parents fully supportive yeah thinking this was go for it oh mom was delighted uh thrilled all together i think it was like you know um a dream come true for her if she she'd have uh, been able to join because uh, I think that's where my spur to actually always uh, challenge the 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 norms per se like you know she was a real feminist and okay. uh, yes I am one myself right. um, and my grandmother before her as well would have been always like you know don't be constrained just because society says you have to behave that uh, particular way so mom was very supportive dad was too but I think behind and he never outwardly but I think behind it he was apprehensive okay. but he was always very supportive as well like you know I remember um, like he collected me after my we had uh, two weeks induction in the naval uh, base before we went to the Curra. right and my parents dropped me down um, and uh, met the, the class officer. And then we did a week on the, the Eliethna at the time. And I got the train then um, home for the weekend before I was to go to the car. And dad collected me like, and he says, uh, why are you still moving? Sure, I was still moving it with the motion of the yeah, ship. Yeah. Like he was laughing at me. So, and he was asking me, did I enjoy it? And I said, uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, but no, they were very supportive because there was a time, certainly in the Curra, I found very tough. Mam wrote to me every day. I mean, to mm. get back, this is uh, just shows the age, like no really mobile bad. phones, but getting yeah. the letter in the pigeonhole, as we'd say, yeah. every day meant a huge amount. And wow. I said it was is uh, to do that. And um, dad, uh, I remember I was thinking of going um, because um in the second year I wasn't sure I found the whole um yeah the the hierarchy quite difficult like you know because things were starting to change it was the mid 90s um but it was still very much the the officer the NCO the ratings and I found that okay. quite difficult in dealing with the relationships I could even see it at that stage like right. you know and I remember my dad, I got, went home for the weekend and dad said like, you know, Roberta, you're going to meet challenging characters in work, no matter where you work. He said, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? All, everything that you're saying here, he said, yeah. you will have. And do you know what I said? He's dead right. Like, you know what I mean? So after that, I kind of went back 110% resolved then to finish it. And, you know, if he wasn't supportive, he wouldn't have said, you know, so yeah. I think that uh, as a whole, they were very supportive and very proud uh, the day of the commissioning in 97 like yeah, yeah yeah excellent do you remember even that's interesting the point where there was like one of my questions is like was there a point where you felt things getting tough and you needed mm. maybe a, a nudge in, in mm. a way your your dad gave that was there other influences or influencers or mentors during those years that kind of helped you stick it out and get through anyone yeah definitely out? like um 
the ship's navigator at the time um he's currently a commander now uh, pat burke was very good like you know when i was out on the ship instruction guidance with regards doing it and very encouraging like because again without um it depended on what ship you went on and the personalities and there were certain personalities that i experienced later on that i found very challenging and mm. quite difficult to deal with and who knows what the the alternative their methods of training i would <laughs> would have found quite uh challenging with us uh pats was very um you know learning instruction guidance mm. and very encouraging with regards as positive feedback when it was required negative when it was required but not in a, a bad way and certainly as well the ship's captain at the time as well shane anderson certainly would have given been a very good um advocate of um the training and um giving me exposure to um the whole learning taking command of the bridge like even being given that under supervision as a senior cadet isn't isn't doesn't always happen but he gave me that opportunity to be up on the bridge be in charge mm -hmm. and with with the the navigator in the back kind of uh, taking a back step because he could see that um i suppose that i was interested that i had the capability i suppose being honest sure. um and he he knew he could trust me that i'd call if if there was um a problem so that to me looking back like did my confidence the world a good because mm -hmm. you know it said it is a, a confidence thing with regards taking command on the bridge even mm -hmm. uh, from a young age and uh, saying like you know have you the capability like you know because there would would have been certain characters their method of training would be to put somebody down all the time and never get mm -hmm. the the positive at all at all and that's quite a difficult like yeah. you know having experienced it later on in life I found it very tough, but I got through there in the end. But there was times I, I did seriously wonder then, you know, because if you have somebody chipping away on your capability Absolutely. Um, and that's how I saw how I wouldn't train a cadet class or how yeah. I when I um, it was said to me subsequently when I was out in command, I had a number of what we call officers under training and you give them skills and show them how to drive a ship, how to do X, Y, Z. And one guy said to me after, well, look, we really appreciated that you gave us the time you showed us. And I said, well, like, that's what it's about. What's the point in trying to say, look at me, aren't I great that I can drive a ship? So that's not what yeah. training is about. You know, yeah, I said, yeah, I know yeah. I can do it. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. you know, I said, I know where I am good, where I, you know, need to work on or whatever. Mm. Uh, we're always, always learning. Like I'd never say that I know it all. Yeah. But I said we're here to to help you and give you expose you to you know within the the safeties of the of the ship so i certainly did and um my when i was second in command of a ship as well um on maloney was instrumental i and i said this to him i said uh, he definitely gave me great again um confidence uh to you know because the different roles, the, it, it's the culmination of taking command of your own ship, like, you know, mm. and the huge responsibility. Uh, you have 46 lives that you're responsible for is in effect, apart from somebody asked me recently, how much does one of the new ships cost? And I said, oh, I don't know, about 50 million. Mm. But for me, it isn't the cost of the vessel. It's yeah, the cost yeah, of yeah. people's lives that you can't put a put a price on. But um, he would have been very, uh, again, his... his um, I suppose mentoring and type of um, feedback was like, you know, done in a very, I think, professional way. And I said, I learned an awful lot from from him as well, like um, all yeah. the time. What stands out as well, sometimes 
it's what you learn not what to do yeah. as much as what you learn what to do from mm. from managers yeah good, good and bad like and uh, i think that that was reinforced there um excellent so when when you came out of cadet school is that a four yeah. year is it or two? no it's a two, well it, it's changed now but in my day my day god that, that was bad. in my day as well in like, my day, you know, so, uh was that uh two years uh, right. So you went, you did three months in the car, you came back to the naval base then and you did from um, December to March in the classroom doing navigation rules of the road, which is similar to um, out on the, the ships, similar to your car. And uh, then when you had that done, you went out as a junior cadet out onto a ship. Mm-hmm. So to kind of put into practice what you'd done in the classroom out at sea, but as a junior cadet you were doing the roles and responsibilities of your the ratings you were scrubbing decks you were scrubbing uh the heads as we call them the toilets you were down in the um chain locker when the anchor was coming in not a very nice experience thankfully we don't do that anymore um to you know the the hard graft um which is uh, important that has to be done to Mm. to um keep a ship afloat because it is a floating um little village in in essence Um, and then you do your three months as part of the crew and, uh, you know, in and out for your patrols because we do four week patrols and, um, then you go back into the class. I went back into the classroom again for what we called the senior, uh, cadet term, more navigation, spherical trigonometry to astro navigation Mm. and all that. And then you went out on your own, um, as a senior cadet and you're going to be carrying out the roles as if you were an officer of the watch. And as I was saying, that's when I was uh, very fortunate. We went to, um, the, the, we were on, um, the redeployment missions back then, uh, the resupply missions, should I say, in Unifil when we had, uh, well, we now have troops over in Unifil again, but we didn't for a while. But back in 96, I was very fortunate that we were on the, the trip that had to bring ammunition and supplies over to our um, peace support um, officers over in uh, Lebanon. Okay. So that was an amazing experience. But mm. also it was a training because we were do- practicing our astro navigation using the sextants and also um, basically reinforcing again all your navigation that you had had done in the classroom and then it's based on the recommendations and feedback between exa- get passing your exams and the feedback that is given from the ship's captain does this person have the capability to take uh, to do what's called a watch keeping so um i finished then uh, got commissioned um in the september of 97 and uh, it was very different to, to what it is now here we have the national maritime college of ireland mm. but um some would say different, but I was very fortunate to go to NUI Galway for three years. Right. Um, the Naval Service for a period of time prior to us joining, they used to have a link with the Royal Navy and the young sub-lieutenants went over and did a Royal Navy course hmm. for a year, I think, over in Dartmouth. But between the cost of it was so... Um, expensive they were trying to see and also as well again we were getting it to a time where um it was important that your managers or your senior your leaders should have degrees you know yeah, the way yeah. things were changing as you know like you know back yeah. then it's it was the leading search it's now you know it's now masters, masters plus doctorates yeah, yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. um and this was the start of i suppose the defense forces already previously had USAC, your army officer going to to mm. NUI Galway so for a brief period until this 
um, concept um, it came into fruition from, yeah, so I was 97 until 2001. I think it was 2003, the whole um, naval officer going to NUI Galway stopped because okay. of the National Maritime College and the link of the right. nautical science. Um, so I went up and I did... Um, a degree in science my primary degree um is geology mm. um but there was other modules that would have been business management um and maritime law and um yeah maritime law is management uh meteorology and introduction to earth's atmosphere and that kind of stuff okay. like you know so it was a an amazing experience i was actually in NUIG at the same time <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i was yeah. overlapping with you i did it from two 96 to 2000 so yeah you yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, in the same lecture halls at oh some it's just point. brilliant brilliant uh. yeah <laughs> no so so coming out of that and you know i want to maybe get get up to the point where you took command of the, yeah. the ship in in 2008 were you beginning to you said back in the early stages mm. you said oh i i, I took yeah. the i didn't go down the engineering route because yeah. i wanted to potentially you know run my own ship command my own ship was this becoming more of a reality then? And did you start plotting your, that was your goal? Yeah. Everybody can set a goal. How do you get to the goal yeah. and implement it? How did you start working towards well, that? Well, it's, it's, it's um, building up then the profile, like with regards, I had been navigator on board the knee of uh, the XO. And as I said, I was there like, you know, and I was driven towards that, but you, always at the back of your mind, you're wondering capability, you know, you know, there's always that. And then, but I was focused on it and uh, very uh, fortunate with the exposure that I got with regards uh, experience um, as XO on the, the Emer to where I was there kind of sitting down kind of, and I remember being in the, the cabin writing down like two years in, two years out, how do you manage this? I had just gotten married in 2004, what way to juggle right. uh, uh, my husband's career. So the way we were kind of, he's in the army. So every time I was at sea, he was volunteering for overseas to do his six months because I would equate in the, in the army, their overseas uh, deployments would be similar to our seagoing. So we were kind of juggling it like that. And I f remember finishing up um, my stint in 2008, uh, sorry, uh, 2007 on the, the Emer. And I was thinking, God, I'm going to have to wait now. And you're looking at people ahead of you, <laughs> seniority. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, our, a number of things um, worked out very well is that uh, we were in the middle of a boom. A lot of people decided to go. So promotion right. opportunities came up a people lot. People were leaving. People were leaving okay. uh, because they'd reached, um, you know, 20 years. Right. And this is part pension abatement. So like, you know, a full pension, this is um so and other job opportunities and they thought that promotion prospects weren't there for them because it is mm. we're only a thousand um in the navy um so i was kind of looking at that and i said right i'd like to do overseas and if maybe if i'm in my mid to late 30s i should get command and i was ashore in operation side of the house and a few guys left and the promotions were held and very lucky to get it and the way I was kind of talking to my husband at the time, I said, the sooner I get out in command, the better. So I kind of, even though we do two years in, two years out, if you volunteer to go out ahead of time, which is what I did, mm. um, and I was lucky, a ship came up and um, a number of people turned it down and they asked me, would I go out ahead of mm. my time? And I said, oh, definitely. I said, this is what I've always wanted. Yeah. So it was kind of a number of things like that 
I'd worked towards it and then when it, the opportunity arose it said I was going to do it as soon as I could and I was delighted like yeah yeah and how long that that's a how long of a stint is two that? years like two I went out of... in 2008 the the October 2008 and I finished up in uh, the October 2010 um so you're of the Ellie Ashley like you know so yeah. it was um I, I was I remember even stepping on board the ship she was in refit which is kind of like a servicing for equivalent to a car like mm. kind of going god and uh, everyone was getting about on about their business like you know and I said I'm the ship's captain now like I, I couldn't uh, mm. you know I was still trying to get my head around it but um, I said look it met the, the staff on board the, the crew like as we, we call it and um then once the sh- the ship got out, it was the the big thing to um to lead from there. And um, I was the the people on board for the two years. It was just an amazing experience, mm. like the mix of, of characters. I mean, like uh, the age profile, um, and even over my time as XO and Nav, and you always saw it. Uh, but to re- you really do see the importance of the younger generation and the older generation mixing and talking. Mm. And that's the one thing about a ship that is quite unique, is that, um, like, uh, and I said it there at the at the the um, presentation the other day. Like, it's it's very much like you know, uh, come live with me, get to know me, mm. um, type of thing. Like you know, and if you have to sit down and have dinner with uh, your boss or somebody who's, sure. it, you know, if. You, you um learn to become more tolerant, mm. um, which is a good thing, um, and also be aware of what's going on behind the scenes. Like you know what I mean. You mm. might get a reaction, but it might be the real reason of why that's that's happening. So um, yeah, yeah I said it, it was very very good. It's a great honor and congratulations on Thanks it. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> was there a standout decision you had to make during the two years? Maybe the hardest decision or biggest decision. That, that comes to mind that uh, maybe at the time was you went with intuition or you went with mm. a mix of everything. I'll stop talking at this point and just see if there anything comes, comes well, to mind. Well, there's a few uh, that come to mind. Uh, they're more quick decisions or when you're driving the ship yeah. on that side of the, the, the house, um, weather conditions and bringing a ship in along, uh, in. And I remember going into the base and there is one of the, it's it's only 19 metres wide now, okay? And the ship was 10 metres wide and lining, what you call is lining up the ship mm. to come in and with 35 knots of wind coming across the mm. entrance. And uh, simple things like, and uh, because why this one sticks out in particular, like, um, is that I was lined up driving in and the way she, the wind she was being set, I just wasn't happy. We weren't going to, to make it. And nobody likes to go in and clang off, as we, we'd we say in right, our terms, right. clang off the side yeah. uh, of the, the basin entrance. So I took the decision to go astern reverse and just okay. go again at it like, okay, you know. Okay. But um, so done that, and uh, but as I was doing that and lining up again, I could hear the the radio. You you've people down aft and up forward and whatnot, and uh, it was like you know sit rep, you know, as in what's going on, like you know why are we doing yeah, this, yeah. like you know. And um, I just said to the ex, the I said, perfectionist in you is coming out. I there, said, uh, tell the tell the <laughs> tell aft that we're just going at it again. But even that, t- you know, to me, you said if you're the type of person to be so stubborn to not you know because nobody likes to have to go again yeah, yeah, yeah it's not nice but i was just i i said uh the the person apologized and i said look the, there's nothing wrong look i totally get it you yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to get in alongside but i said i didn't
didn't want to be uh, causing damage to a ship sure. uh, because it was funny afterwards again I was talking to another colleague who was on the ship waiting for us because they have a lines party to take your lines on board okay and again, uh, there was a comment saying, oh, why is she going again? Oh, look at her. Uh, you know, you can imagine the everyone stand by watching, you know, yeah. the critiques yeah. on the sideline. And in fairness, the, the ship's captain on the other ship said, look, you know, she's right. She's not taking a chance going to damage the ship coming in. Look, you just go again. So yeah. there are the kind of decisions that you uh, you make. But you look back and said um, how you maneuver a ship decisions even uh you know, going in alongside and why why you turned her and like you know, people say to me, oh, you you have to stay calm. You might be inside, be but as I said, the one thing um, again over the years I learned is how not to do it is that you have to remain composed. You could be <laughs> inside, yeah. but if if all around you are going uh, mm-hmm. because I remember one day another uh, flying over and back running somebody was and I was like calm down like you know you are not mm. instilling it doesn't it doesn't help and don't get me wrong I'm not saying that I'm mm. um, but you have to appear is the word uh, mm. you know because you set the tone as the ship's captain so they'd be kind of from a practical perspective um, and then dealing with uh, people on board with regards uh, what I call them big decisions but at what stage when you um, give people time off if you're operational requirements and mm. um, you know I was glad I, I there's different stages I left people off um, without maybe going to higher command um, I made right. the decision as, okay. at a local level and thankfully it paid off you know mm. and said and they've come back to me and thanked me like you know and said look we appreciate it. it was personal reasons they need to get home and we were able to manage without the you know but they're i wouldn't you know are they big decisions but they're different things over the over the yeah. the two years like you know um i said uh that um kind of stick out they stick out yeah, yeah. No, interesting so after that um and maybe bringing it up to to, to the current yeah. day what were or have been standout moments for you in the last number of years because that that was finished in yeah. 2010 and we're already to 2017 so a lot yeah. has gone on uh water under the bridge sorry on, yeah on, that's on, take that one out but uh but what were the the continual learnings and development for you because if that was your your life yeah. goal yeah there was was there that anti-climax afterwards or was there like where, where do i fill this void next or what's my next big there was a massive, I have to say, coming ashore after being your own boss, you know, okay, you do have orders from higher command, but you do have, you know, you're, you're basically, you, the buck stops with you on board the ship, you know, mm. if things go wrong, it's your fault. If things go right, uh, it's everyone else's, uh, yeah. you know, it's the team. Yeah. I know, I, um, I have to say I had a very good crew, um, you know, and would be still good friends with a lot, a lot of the people on board. Um, but uh, I did find coming ashore to the desk job, it was like, what now? I felt mm. a bit deflated, in, sure. uh, certainly in that regards. Um, and um, it took me a few months to, and because I, I remember talking to other ship's captains um, about it. They said, like, look, you're just going to be a staff officer now, so it's what you do. So I suppose I threw myself into the health and safety higher diploma and I kind of aimed, I wanted to to get a one one in that and I knew what was required with regards to study um and it's mad like you know it, it just made me realize like you know that the sheer effort that has to be put into it I achieved that it was kind of that was another thing just to keep me busy yeah, yeah, yeah. uh with regards to it um and then um 
uh, I did a press and information officer's course because I was interested. In, I was doing the press officer's job, okay. so I kind of, I kind of bimbled along for for a while, kind of doing the the roles and responsibilities. But um, I suppose stand out. Um, I got involved in there was in fairness, Gillian uh, Power, one of the junior ranking officers, kept saying that it was important that we have a maternity policy. And uh, like, um, and for years, our PMS section were saying, oh, we don't need one case by case basis, whatever, you know. And the longer I was in there, I said, um, and uh, the more women we have in the organization, I said, we need, what's the big problem? We have mm. other organizations. And I have a friend who's a director in HR as well with the multinational company. She says, look, the policies, you just look at your the law and the regulations and, you know, that's that's where you start. And to cut a long story short, uh, a working group was initiated from uh, commander right down and I got got wind. I, I volunteered to put myself on that as well because okay. I worked in naval headquarters. So I found that uh, very interesting and challenging. We had a mix of men and women on, on the, the working group and uh, just the discussions that, that that brought out as well. Like, mm. you know, um, and I know the person didn't mean it, but like it was like very much sure we have our two years in two years out just have your child and your two years in <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to say it's like simple, yeah. yeah i wish it you know it was as simple as that and yeah. we, i said we need to and then they were worried about different people you know um, not going to see and i said like to me policy is there for people who want a career you're not going to legislate or put a policy in place for people who don't want to mm. be to um work with the organization anyway i said this is a mm. guideline to to somebody if they pick it up and they say right if i um uh, have a child what is the policy what is the recommendations of the the naval service like yeah. and ultimately like it came down to that uh now that after you have the child you won't be sent to sea until two years after you have the child okay. so the, you know and then at that stage then you talk to command you talk to the hr there's procedures in sure. place now so at least somebody knows yeah now it's not perfect it needs to be re- reviewed and revamped oh, and yeah. there was some i'll be honest there was kickback from it as well mm. with regards to it but it's a starting point and then so that being involved in that i was i was uh proud of that mm. and then it's a it's amazing i took over the formation safety advisor role and uh, for the naval service in conjunction with another job in as a staff officer in the hq and in the middle of it uh what was it in 2014 we had um an asbestos um right say crisis uh sounds very catastrophic but in effect like you know mm. because in 2002 the naval service were told you've no asbestos on board your 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 uh your ships and then it turns out that we're doing maintenance i get a phone call i'm doing an audit um in another unit and i get told um asbestos what's the legislation with regards to that and i was there my ears pricked i remember something going on about that in yeah, my college yeah. course right. uh took out my notes went online um i said oh my god you know there are very stringent guidelines what's the story um they had dismantled a funnel the gasket heads had uh, been damaged so you had uh, so we needed to get it tested and what turned out anyway is that we had to manage a scenario where asbestos had been disturbed you had 10 people um, that um, had exposed potentially been it. exposed to right. it um, how to manage that we had a whole 100 people in the dockyard um, maintenance who were worried over the years had they been exposed to it mm. so it was managing that so it was in conjunction with myself and uh, Connor Sullivan from 
from his technical expertise. I had done uh, with my bit of experience from being in the press, mm. um, also with regards to communication. Mm. Um, and there was with himself and four others, we sat down and um, in fairness, he had recently had come off a senior command and staff course but we have this thing called campaign planning how to tackle a problem like yeah. you know regards it like crisis and, management yeah sort of that's stuff it like and that, we yeah. sat down and said what is our end goal here what is our end goal and we we're spitballing it out and was to regain the trust of our people within the organization mm. so that whole um i suppose event really i suppose it sounds terrible but i got reinvigorated almost yeah. during that i was so busy um, mm. having to uh, we had different decisive points as we call it to come what was going to get us to achieve, regain the trust of the people between internal briefings external briefings what else like they weren't going to if I was going there so I remembered we had a doctor Martin Hogan he's an excellent lecturer I remember him um was the toxicology uh, lecture? I said, I wonder, does he would he come down and speak to the people about yeah, asbestos? Yeah, yeah. Because any reassurances I was giving, it was like management yeah. has something to hide. Yeah, so yeah, I even yeah. could see then that we needed to get a neutral, yeah. you know, to, to to talk to people. Um, and then from the communications aspect to the whole uh, fleet asbestos management plan, the dealing with the HSA. Um, to the Health and Safety Authority to what policies we needed to put in place uh, to the very uh, simple things of getting the cleanup, dealing with the companies uh, to do the analysis, to do the air mm. testing, that all uh, from, from all of 2014, like, you know, really stick out to, I was so busy, but I was really, it was really interesting because there was so many different elements and so many working parts between we to get the cleanup, how we were going to dispose of it. I remember even, uh, how do you even clean the engine room of a ship? Yeah. Uh, with regards to the dust and what was there mm. and talking to the company who deal with it every day yeah. uh, clean up um, and how they were we walking around the engine room how areas what you were going to cover up what wasn't going to get damaged what had to be done mm. what were they going to do with the, the waste water how was that going to be treated how yeah, we, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so it was really really um, interesting and an eye opener on how to uh, to manage a, a scenario that could have been because the, um, on the other side, we were getting parliamentary questions, how to staff Reputational those. damage. Reputational yeah. damage. It was massive, like, you know, across mm. the board. Um, but my, my big thing was, and uh, I remember, you know, it was at all times be open and honest to people. Like, you know what I mean? I said, like, yeah. I rang the HSA. There was a perception down here from some of the staff. Because I remember seeing the questions when we went down and we ended up speaking to the, the dockyard workers. You didn't call them. I said, I have the dates here. I rang, I got the phone call in in March uh, 30th. I said, I got the call. As soon as we knew that it was the type of asbestos was, I had rang saying, uh, saying the HSA, they said, ring when you know exactly what it is. Mm. You know, I had informed, they came down, we walked them around. They gave us the guidelines on what we had to do and they came back later, you mm. see. So I said, I saw that that was so important. It seems like all the courses you've done with the health and safety and mm. the, the the communication stuff all kind of yeah. helped really come together did, there like, yeah, because we yeah. didn't realise they were all going to maybe overlap overlap and touch like you know you hear that like you know what I mean that one course is you never really specifically but you know you've mentioned it yourself with your own experience that mm. you do you draw on different areas and skills and it's only when you sit back and you get asked about yeah. it that you realise yeah it was those things that I was using you know what I mean like you don't sit down I am going to use they yeah, kind of yeah, just yeah, innately yeah. happened yeah. because you've 
you've had to, to deal with it or you see it, you know. Yeah. But I certainly then that um, having used what was called the campaign plan on how to address a, a crisis or a scenario or a project um, that Connor had briefed me, I subsequently then went on the leadership management and defence studies uh, course and I found that element, um, I was used to it. I knew some people couldn't get their head around it. And um, I remember one of the instructors saying to me, God, you really seem to, to know Grasp, you get it. Like, and yeah, I said, yeah. well, I've actually used it. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me and I said, no, it does actually work. To me, it's a it's a formalized way of brainstorming. When we yeah. when a few people get in together, spitball stuff and you put it up, this is just kind of putting it in a military structure structured manner, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, yeah. how, how ironically. But I said, I'd be a firm believer of it. Like, you yeah. know. From everything you've said, the career has been very varied probably yes. more so than yeah. you would have even ever thought going yeah. going in early on um what does a what does a typical day look like now in your new or current position my current role yeah uh, my typical day um is trying to get a handle on uh, i have i'm the officer in charge of uh, the training school um which means for the officer training so the cadets um so i have um there's two classes of cadets, first years and second years, as we call them, mm-hmm. um, junior and senior uh, cadet class. So currently the junior class are up in the Curra. And uh, with uh, there's a class officer uh, who's directly linked with them, but he would be in contact with me regularly if okay. there's challenges with a student or um, next week now we're coordinating simulator training as well because I need to get up to speed on the that whole side of the house as well. Um, and I have uh, the senior class are in uh, what is called TDO1s, which is first nautical science. And again, they have a class officer, but I have to liaise now with the National Maritime College here with regards um payment of fees and stuff like that when the exams are on. Mm. They, they kind of, they slot in, they are CIT students, but then there are certain elements that I need to be aware of uh, from the logistical point of view as well, yeah. uh, where they go after the like the first year in nautical science now would be getting what we say commissioned get a short service commission in okay. June so that planning process has to to commence with regards to that and immediately what I'm um, I'm trying to do from my day to day is um there was a recent uh, senior command officers course run so I have to get those exams corrected and assessed and ready to put into what's called um, the exam boards and mm-hmm. get them reviewed and then from January to March um, I suppose put it together a program and make sure that um, I get the instructors and I think I'm mainly instructing on them with regards to that right. side of the house okay. so to be honest it's quite varied at the moment yeah, uh, quite yeah. busy because I'm trying to get a handle on where I, I know where all the students are but why I need to make sure is that um so I have my little flow chart mm. of where each year and what, what the key dates. My key date at the moment now is that I have uh, second year students, TDO2s as they're called, are due to do, start their merchancy time. So I need to make sure that I, I've tasked the, the NCO to get all their paperwork in order to, we have a what's called a memorandum of understanding with Damico and to get all their paperwork to send up with Damico and hopefully get them out onto merchant ships by Q1 of next year or January next year, should I say. 
Um, so that's my uh, biggest thing. So that's like a, almost like a placement type yeah, thing. Yeah, place, yeah, yeah, placement. Yeah. So they get exposed to yeah. to seagoing life with a, a different organization. So um, okay. and we strongly kind of try and encourage them to do that. Like you know, mm. um, so that's um, that side of the house. And then the third years. Um, as I said, we'll be getting ready for what's called their Naval Watchkeeping Certificate. Even though they have their college course here from National Maritime College of Ireland, you have to kind of, it's like your driver's license when you go out onto a ship in the right. Navy. You have to go out, you do simulator training for three weeks, then you go out onto a ship and it's like doing your practical driving yeah, yeah. test. Your, uh, you have to navigate the ship up and down, give the orders. We have kind of like it's your bridge team layout. You have the per- the officer of the watch, you have your navigator who's on the radar, your navigator on the, the, um, the Pilaris doing the compass, the visual stuff, and then you've got somebody on the chart uh, doing the chart work, and you interact as a team, giving the information to move the ship from here out to Roach's Point and back. You okay. know, so as I said, it's it's quite busy at the moment. As I said, because it's quite new to me, mm. um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, but as I said, there's a lot of moving parts to make sure that each element uh, that we don't miss. Um, I suppose deadlines with regards uh, exam boards and graduations, like yeah. Would you say you would have to have to to do this role? You'd have to have done everything you've done in the past effectively. Do you think that that is an advantage in that you're you've lived it like every, everything else? You you t- like you learn from every experience, so you can draw on it, be it consciously or subconsciously. It's how do you approach it? Like I've trained cadets here before, so I have an idea of the the train schedule, um, and. Uh, between to me anyway with a lot of jobs anyway it's communication and not thinking you know it all like no I, I don't know I said I'm not afraid to ask for, mm. for help or look mm. what is the guy it's just because of my rank some people feel that because of their rank they can't be seen to their their you know it's how you go about and do it and uh, dealing with people so be it happen to be the jobs that I've done do you have to have it done I think you could have worked in different areas in the organization and still come to this job as said because okay. you just draw on what you've learned over the years I think to to uh, make it work as best as you can like yeah cool so I'm going to get into some more tactical questions okay. now if that's okay yeah. to, to figure out how you manage to get all of this stuff done and my background is in project management and everything you're talking about there sounds to me like you know you have projects and you're talking about tasks and scheduling mm. like have you ever done any formal project management training or no anything? no maybe i it should like you, you, you have i think you have you don't realize it like you know, if you did it like just going back to what you said maybe if you did some some of that you'd realize you're actually doing so yeah, much of yeah, it already yeah. but i suppose how do you how do you be productive what yeah. what approaches do you take to be well i'm very um task i set what like you know um because like what i right i said i have my 10 page hand over here but i've already identified what are the key we'd say i did the leadership management course we say like you know what are the nearest crocodiles here what's what are the key drivers here so i've mm. i have my different classes what their schedule is um so i suppose it's writing it out i'm still with all the technology i'm an awful person for the pen and paper oh, and good, um though. 
my list with regards it so like and then I'd have identified what are the key ones like at, at the moment what do I really need to make sure is so that's how I do it and I prioritize with regards it like you know what I mean because um there's one or two things there and even somebody said to me you could I could spend a lot of time there a case there uh, to, mm. for an allowance at the moment and yes it is important to the individuals and we will get it but it's not a priority like it's on the desk for a week there mm-hmm. it'll probably sit another week because I've other returns that have to be done between yeah. we're reviewing the current regulations for the terms and conditions for cadets and we're reviewing the terms the what we call defense force regulations so that's priority so i suppose to answer your question at a tactical level i'm very mm. much i'll go through what has to be required kind of make out that list or with regards that the in my current scenario my handover notes mm. and i'm prioritizing what i have to do and i kind of look back some days like you know I, the expression yesterday i said to my husband i felt like i chased my tail yesterday mm-hmm. i said so then I, to, to stop that from happening i sit back and say right we're to sit down and i get the diary out and i said a million and one kind of yeah. main points right what have you to do to get that done and what are your key days like I said the key date there I have for is the 20th of November I need to get those in and then that's my next one that I have to sit down and see when these have these papers have to be corrected by so that's the kind of way that I'd Hmm. I'd approach it no no it's good scientific you you talked about urgent well important and Mm. maybe versus urgent like that whole COVID quadrant if you've ever heard of the looking at your task and say right that is important but i don't need to do it till yeah, next friday whereas this yeah. one has to be done yeah. by today so it seems like you're naturally doing that like yeah. maybe you could call it something different but um to get it all done i love i love talking about people's uh maybe morning routines or, or evening are they morning type get a lot of their thinking or work done in the morning oh, I'm really night yeah a night out yeah yeah okay um, a lot of my work um, I suppose before children yeah. um, would have been uh, do a lot of stuff in the evening time um, right. and uh even when I was on that, um, my husband is currently on that leadership and management course. It's a nine month course. You're okay. way Monday to Friday, like, and I was wow. very, very much um, that I, like I'd be sitting down at seven o'clock and I'd study away on, t- or like, or, you know, I said, or be reading stuff. I really get into my groove up until mm. 10, 11 o'clock. There'd be other guys getting up at six of the morning. Oh, I hate. Right. I, I can't say I hate the mornings now because I have three smallies, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> said, you have to, that's a different half to it's a different uh, reason to be getting up but it, no even I find my brain functions I mm. far more get in, into the groove uh, with regard stuff late uh, at yeah, night rather than I'd be totally the opposite yeah, in that yeah, respect yeah. like you talked about awareness and mm, keeping your head when everyone else yeah. around it is losing yeah. them to me the question I always like to dig in there is around how do you kind of manage that is there a do you do meditation or mindfulness or or anything that allows you to stay focused or present? Yeah, you have to, um, and I only touched on it, it happened to be on, on that course we did recently with mindfulness or whatever, mm. But I, and I suppose we all would have done these kind of things but not known the, the mm. terms of it. And um, I suppose where I, um, it was funny, we were doing uh, an intro of the course and I was very cynical about it because I didn't think that we should be in uniform when you're doing, you know, and we were kind of marching, we're doing mindfulness. To me, kind of contradicts the whole mm. rationale of what mindfulness was. But when you apart that, uh, I certainly do see a value for it. And I would would have, I say, without realizing, kind of 
tell yourself to step back like or I was always um you know you find things hard is that I'd go in I think about it I'm an awful one for writing stuff out mm. um I would have kept a diary from a very young age and mm. certainly when I was in command for the two years I kept a diary and somebody right. said to me wow I said if you had a bad uh, if something didn't go well um you know with regards to ship driving or you're experiencing you know things are tough that you're out mm-hmm. there for two weeks very much write out my feelings yeah um if that you oh, know absolutely, and yeah. then it's amazing i look back and the diary for the the two years when when you're in a good headspace as they say there's less in the diary and then yeah. when you're you know that you get it all out and it's a great way to just kind of park it i found found that yeah that a, a great um it works for me um i yeah. i haven't kept a diary i haven't um a although um what was it only a few weeks back post interview debrief I had to sit down and write that all out like that's how mm. I kind of I suppose yeah. process things oh no that's uh, very myself useful, like. uh, with regards that everyone again would have a different approach and I find running for myself mm. uh, great I love it I mentioned it at the start that I hate my yeah. training but I really got into I just like I'm not a speed demon but I really enjoy running like lunch times now here right. um we get time to to train because we are expected to pass a fitness test every okay. year. Cool. Um, and uh, no, I really enjoy it. I find it. There's a couple of the guys that I go training with mm. at lunchtime. We go out and it's great. You'd be given out about work. You mightn't be given out, but you know, yeah. I said, and it's a great ther- therapy. Yeah. For oh, it's the, it's a form of meditation and mindfulness yeah, as well. Like, yeah. and I know you may say that, like, you can be meditative or mindful in nearly any yeah. environment people do it walking running yeah or just sitting there kind of not thinking yeah. if, you, if you can no no have you done have uh have you done marathons half marathons have you ever gone i've done that? yeah oh, did yeah. the cork to cove there oh, that's uh, the 15, 15 miler, is it? yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, gonna do the clan uh clan Kilty oh that's now coming up very soon like yeah and we, i did one marathon but the body I was in a like you know I would like to do one more but I physically I found the that I could hardly walk. <laughs> yeah. I find it you know whereas I find half I sounds terrible halves are, half, nice, half like. are nice they're yeah. an easy one whereas the work that has to go into a full one it's a huge commitment. I it did is. it when I was training cadets so I right. was doing You're a lot of there. training anyway. Whereas now I said I'm kind of restricted to when I'm actually at work. <laughs> Yeah. to get my runs in and uh it's great no it is it's uh yeah th- th- but yeah the step up to the to the next level of, of falls can take a lot of time yeah. as well how do you manage your uh your your inbox i like the the one some people have ocd like me on on my email that i don't like to have much in there and others okay. are comfortable with hundreds and oh, thousands yeah, in me. there like so you're okay with the <laughs> i'm okay with the and then you you manage to I identify just go through scan. and again um what i do is that and i'm sure there's uh, because my husband's very good at uh you know he'll have them in groups or whatnot i go through the emails and i write out and then again it's the diary comes out and say right what is important Mm. um and uh say right i need to hit that you know um and tackle that by a certain date and i'd have maybe two days before it's actually due is the way i kind of do it and um yeah i don't have i should have a better system with regards to my emails but i don't no, no, don't and um it's getting worse but i i would consider that i have a good mem i i think i have a good enough memory like you know what i mean now that's weaning i'm gonna have to come up with a, <laughs> a better systems but uh that's the way i kind of process it it's like you know i met somebody there at coffee today and she was there oh i said yeah i got that i was able to say that's the person i said i'm 
um, working on that towards it regards the deadline for it. Okay. Like, you know, she goes, didn't want to be disturbed and you're only new in the job. But so, yeah, I suppose I could, I, I wouldn't be very systematic in that sense. <laughs> it seems to work for you though, the, the system you have. Sleep. What's your sleep like, your patterns of sleep? And this is probably more interesting with you than others because when you're on ships for a long yeah, period of yeah. time, how that changes mm. or, uh, you know, everybody, certain people need their eight hours yeah, or they yeah. can't function. How, how does that I'm very lucky work? that I fall asleep. Like I have no problems falling asleep. Um, said, and certainly on ship, um, some people would say that they hated what was called the 48, the dog watch. I used to love it. Right. Two reasons, anyway. Like 48 a.m., I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get up at half three in the morning, uh, you grab a coffee, uh, grab a shower of coffee, and you run up taking over the watch from four until eight in the morning. Mm. I just love that time because it's quiet um, and you call the hands wouldn't be until half six, seven o'clock. Like, so you're kind of bar you and the the the, the watch, uh, which would be your helmsman and uh, somebody in the comms uh, area. Um and then when you come to uh, say you'd be working, you might get to rest off until say midday. It was when you could rest off. So you go to bed at 12 mm. until half three. And, but I'd have no problem falling asleep. You talk to some people and they hate broken. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I was fortunate in that regards. Um, so yeah, I it would, I'd be, I'd be a good <laughs> A good sleeper, in right? That right, regards. and you wouldn't, and you'd survive on small amounts. Um, uh, I find mm-hmm. it difficult. Uh, right. I'll be honest. I do like to try and catch up. Um, yeah. I don't like. I like to try and get, even if it is broken, my seven hours. Like you know okay. that kind of way. Um, I am fond of the sleep <laughs> if I can get it, but I can function. Look, you can. Um, I think kids. I would have thought I was all ready for it with the watch system and broken yeah, sleep yeah, yeah. and whatnot. But I did always the children just bring it to a whole new level with right. regards to sleep de- deprivation. So no. uh, definitely uh, tempers free. <laughs> and it's so it's a different type of sleep deprivation. I don't know, as I said, uh, yeah. Um, so I'd consider that um, I, I'm quite a good sleeper, but I don't have, I'd have to, but I'd function like, you know, around seven or so, like, yeah. Okay. Anything you fear? Is there any fears that you have had in the past that you have found difficult to overcome well fear of failure who doesn't uh putting mm. yourself out there um not succeeding but that doesn't sound like it it prevents you from trying but it doesn't it, like, i'm yeah. an awful devil for i'll throw my, like i don't i'm not a great one for heights yet i'll go skiing and i'll throw myself well. right um don't ask me why I will push myself outside my comfort zone and I think it's important for people to do that mm. it's not nice at yeah. all at all but if you did if, yeah. you, if it stopped you what would you what would human mankind humankind ever achieve like you know is the way mm. you know um, so what do I like I fear the, the normal stuff like as I said you don't like to look bad uh, if you don't do a good job I all mm. you'd like to be think uh, thought of somebody who will give it your all like you know but mm. um, I said uh, that would be the thing but uh, you've to just what can I do to try and overcome that is the way I'm not saying that I have all the answers mm. said, um, but yeah okay. decisions how have you developed a decision making process over over your over the years over training I know you talked about tough decisions mm. maybe on, on the ship and you kind of made them quite yeah. quite quickly I, I'm big into intuition and yeah. going with your gut in mm. lots of ways you know there's a mix between experience and the gut yeah. but how do you uh, also under on i find when i don't make decisions quickly 
like tends to take a long time to actually make it a kind mm. of procrastination do you have uh, any formal formula for it or is it something you've developed over just naturally i wouldn't have a formula i'll be honest and again it it depends um but i would if, if some decisions um it depends on what they are like work related i would yeah. talk and if if you have the time i would certainly gay i'm very big into getting other people's opinion as well collaborative type of approach if if possible sometimes the scenario doesn't allow you to do it you have to make a decision yourself like you know with regards it um you know you know as press officer you have to make a decision yourself to how you're going to answer a question yeah Mm -hmm. i can do that but if if at all possible be it you know if, if it's a policy thing or if i'm having a challenging scenario trying to get things uh, across i'll um i'll uh, talk to peers with regards that is gain insight from them is the way I, I do tend to do um a bit of that like you know hmm. um and i suppose there's a danger you have to make sure that your your ability to make your own decision at the end of the day is what you have to go by then you know all, there's only so much talking about and i suppose deadlines are good in that regards yeah um but i wouldn't have anything for formula wise as to how i um said with regards that um but i when you said got there yeah I, somebody was asking that or you know you drive the ship you just get this feeling when you're you yeah. make a decision that that's the the way to go like you know what i mean i said mm. i said somebody said why did you go portside too well it was the ship she wasn't gonna turn i said you have to go with the way she's you know once yeah. everything's safe you know you have to go with that so i would believe in a certain amount of that uh gut feeling and that you know deep down that yeah there's something not right here like Don't you know feel so, right. yeah. so yeah mm. no cool nice one two more and then yeah. i'll let you get back to it you mentioned success a couple of times and um like to try and understand everybody's perception or how they yeah. define it how, how do you define success or what does it mean to you the word yeah um success for me is um that's an interesting question uh with regards i suppose achieving what you set out to achieve um but then i suppose that you mightn't always get there um is so you have to look back and say uh why why wasn't it achieved and look at the bigger picture and it's been mature enough uh, to do that um but overall, success is that um, achieving what you set out to do. That's in, in its basic form. Um, to look back as a successful career, uh, to me, is that uh, that you did the best you could in the scenario with the best of what you had. Like, you know, I think that to me would be very important that you'd look back and say, look, well, they did the best they could. They, you know, they took with regards to the resources, the people or whatever they had. Um, and, and that to me would be a successful completion of a task, a job or a role that you, you did. Like, you know, with regards that I'd hate to to uh, leave a place and say oh, they were lazy, they didn't do anything, they were unmotivated. That to me is wouldn't be a fear, but I I don't, I wouldn't like to be mm. to be seen as that type of individual. So that's the kind of contrast to where okay. I'd be coming. Nice one, interesting. Last one then, maybe just around advice. It's kind of a two-parter movie. Yeah. Advice you've ever been given that stands out over your career and then maybe it could be a different piece of advice you you could mm. give. I don't know if just a, a whole area of advice isn't I like to, to kind of probe at. Peer review for me, I, f- I found that we did it on the course was very good. 
and very interesting now you're we all are aware of our idiosyncrasies but when you read them in black and white mm. so it's it's certainly um that would have been one area that it was advice from my peers that were were given like you know is that open or anonymous it's anonymous you didn't know who gave it to you okay. but it was a class of 20 right. so there was they you had to write your 20 positives uh, you know your uh, one one, each, one like. line each and okay. one one positive one negative mm. with regards it and I found that uh, very good, like, you know, with regards mm. it from the, the negative to, uh, was it, um, don't interrupt so much. Being more aware then of when I am talking to people yeah. with regards as it's good advice. Like, you know, I, I, I said to my husband, did you pay the lads on that to, to put it? Because you're always giving out to me for interrupting yeah, 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 yeah. I say it uh, jokingly. <laughs> but um, but it has made me more conscious with regards to that, uh, that side of the house. But also then as well, it, there was stuff like, you know, um, a self-belief and whatnot like you know what I mean I, I think some people it depends on the you don't want to I find it a balance trying to without coming across too arrogant or too brash and boastful mm. to trying to get the balance of sure. uh, amongst your peers so that was interesting advice to get with regards to it yeah so like even uh, with recent promotion competitions the importance of pushing yourself and selling yourself like basics but it's mm. stuff that we don't do well certainly in in this organization here that um it's only from um talking outside that you realize like you know what i mean we take certainly in the navy you take what we do for granted quite day to day this is what we do and mm. we don't tend to but that's what you when you go in for an interview you have to sell yourself so i find that quite difficult to do mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, because at the end of the day uh i'm just doing my job like you know you're do, you know but um said it's it's trying to put that spin on it and get that balance then kind of saying look we're i'm not saying i'm perfect but i know that i'm good enough for the next role or yeah. the job if i am so and to carry that on if somebody is going for a job and i was only talking to a colleague there recently who was going for a different uh an interview for the different side of the house i said you have to sell yourself and he was looking at me as if i was i said you are the best in this 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 and this and that's what you have to do but people i find that quite uncomfortable to do yeah of course very yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah. i said is it an irish thing or what you know mm. i said but that's how you know what i mean I said at the end of the day it's like marketing you have to sell yourself for those yeah that th those 30 minutes i said so that kind of advice and it kind of stemmed from the feedback to um carrying it forward for interviews or any job that you go for be mm. it internally or externally was what i would say cool i think when you mentioned there the Irish thing about selling yourself. Yeah. I did a psychometric re recently, and it's the one the green, yellow, blue, red. I don't oh, know if yeah, you're, like, yeah, you're kind of, I think the red zone people yeah. are those extrovert seller types, mm. and the, the green, I would be a green, which is a bit more introverted, mm. a bit more of a, a feeler. So mm. I think it probably depends on the yeah. type of person you are, because some yeah. Irish people are very good at probably yeah. telling them. Telling people how good they are as well. Yeah, know? yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's just personal. Exactly. Yeah, I'd imagine. Like, yeah. I'm going to end with one actually new kind of more fun question that I, I wanted to ask. If you had a had to bring one person to a dinner party, um, now it can't be your husband. Uh, <laughs> it'd be too obvious. But maybe somebody you would admire that you'd love to spend a few hours with, picking their brain or getting to know, understand them. Anyone jump out there? Um. I would uh is it Hillary Clinton? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Very good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody like that, you know, just with regards to the challenges. Mm. Um and 
having to deal with you know uh, all that she's had to deal with throughout her her career and uh, I yeah. suppose exposure to the media sure. uh, from the very onset when her own husband was in the presidential elections uh, and, and a president and mm. what went on there mm. to where she what she went through and yeah. to where where she ended up like and having to brush yourself off yeah after all that I think regardless of what allegiance po- political wise or whatever mm. I think um, it's you know I'd love to just get her inside I, I probably will get her book like you know yeah she's a new to, book out, out she's yeah, yeah and I missed I was just, I think she was on the late she was on top of the said I missed that very good interview said, I'd, I'd be very curious just with regards to challenges and what she she had a goal inside and it didn't pan out and brushing yourself off from that and and carrying on like yeah. you know, so I said I'd be really interested to yeah. to hear her story cool no nice one Roberta thanks so much we've uh, definitely gone into some good details there I hope something came up for you maybe new yeah, that you mightn't yeah. have thought before I know I uh, I really enjoyed the, the conversation and uh, I look forward to to releasing it in the next few weeks likewise thanks, thanks so much, much. take <laughs> care bye bye Okay, just before you go, so number one, the newsletter. I'd love if you signed up. I have over a thousand signups. You'll get a note just before an episode's released every week. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. It's on the site. Click on the homepage and you can sign up from there. Number two, the podcast is growing. Listeners are going up and up. And I'd like to continue to do so. So would you be interested in supporting what I do? No obligations, but I've set up a Patreon page, which uh, is something a lot of podcasters are doing and other artists, I say loosely, and you can support it by donating for per an episode or, or just in general. That would help me improve marketing, improve everything I guess I'm doing and try and maybe even get to the point where I can get a guest or two on and pay them for their time so that would be great if you think there's some value in listening to the show maybe you'd like to instead of buying that seventh cup of coffee during the week you could donate the two or three euros to the show totally up to yourself if you've got richer by the one percent better podcast maybe you could donate and help it grow and how do you do so you just go to the support page on the website click on support you'll see the patreon image click there and it's pretty straightforward after that okay that's that what is your story what are you getting from the show if anything send me a note email me about that i would love to read out your story be it anonymous or whatever if you want your name read out and uh, that'll hopefully help others get something from it as well so that's really the the value the show is bringing you can get in touch through email it's at rob at rob of the green twitter facebook instagram at rob of the green i'm on linkedin under my own rob o'donoghue name persistence is key with this in the last few weeks i have increased numbers and that's just through marketing through pushing things a little bit more i'm going to keep doing that and get it out there more people are hearing it i'm gone over two minutes i know that if you have any ideas for guests that you'd like me to interview i'm all ears get in touch and finally thank you so much for listening and telling people about it and liking it and sharing it it's so nice to get a an email from somebody i don't know and they tell me that they've got something from the show makes it all worthwhile i'm going to keep doing it i'm enjoying it and i'm going to say 
Good luck. Thank you. Bye.